News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR on News Talk. Now, good morning, Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly. Good morning, Kira. Good morning, Shane. Thank you for speaking to us this morning, Minister. Um, lots of things to talk about this morning, but but first up, I, I know we had that CAMS report about a month and a half ago, but but the, the information that fed into the report has been released this week. And it is nothing, I think I think it's fair to say, short of, of damning. Some of the, the headlines, huge waiting lists. Some, some uh, areas have no consultant at all. Some areas, all consultants are part-time, no out-of-hour services, no system for renewal of prescriptions. A system that is unsafe, dysfunctional and hard to access. This must be of grave concern both to the HSE and the Department of Health. It is. It's a very useful report. I met with the Mental Health Commission, both the Chief Exec and the Chair, earlier on this week to go through the report. It's an important report uh, and I want to thank the Mental Health Commission for doing it. I also met yesterday with the new clinical lead, Dr. Amanda Burke. She has 30 years experience uh, in youth mental health as a psychiatrist and she's a very clear plan for how we tackle some of the issues that you have just raised One of the things, Kira, I think is important to say for parents out there, because uh, we in the Oireachtas and uh, typically you in the media quite rightly focus on the things that need to be fixed. But it's also important to say that the Mental Health Report Commission uh, and John uh, Farrelly, who's the chief exec yesterday on the radio, he acknowledged that there is an awful lot of very good things happening. We have a superb workforce and we have about 21,000 children receiving uh, high quality yeah, support from superb, uh, CAM. A so we, we, we need to say that minister, just, just as well. But an inadequate workforce. I mean, the bottom line and the, the, the word that jumps out on me every time I read all of these reports is the word unsafe. That is not something that inspires confidence in parents anywhere. And, and I have to ask you, do you have, com- if, you, if you had a child yourself attending camps, would you, do you have confidence in it? I do have confidence in the system and I I spoke directly to the Mental Health Commission on exactly this point because that's the word that jumped out at me as well, right? So for parents, there really are only two considerations. If my child needs access to these um, moderate to severe services, to 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 the more complex services, can my boy or girl get them? And are they safe? Now, on the first question, which is can they get access, at the moment, Uh, For every seven children or young people who are referred into CAMS, six in every seven are being actively supported right now. But critically, one in every seven isn't. Now, at the start of the summer, the waiting list was about 4,600. It has fallen over the summer to about 3,900. That's partly because we put waiting list uh, initiatives in place and new teams in place at the start of the year. They've been hiring up uh, over the year, and those teams are now beginning to do exactly what we want them to do. And what uh, Dr. Burke and I were talking about yesterday was how we continue to drive down those uh, waiting lists. So that's the first issue. Uh, we have to make sure that uh, young people have access to CAMS when they need it. Um, in fairness to the CAM service, the most urgent cases, 95% of young people are getting access within 72 hours. So that that is good. Um, but we have to make sure that that not six and seven, but that seven and seven children, when referred, our uh, young people get the access. When it comes to safety, uh, Kira, to, to, to your question, this is exactly what I asked the Mental Health Commission. And what they said was, they raised several issues. They said there isn't, for example, there isn't some of the areas, but not in all of the teams. They said there wasn't sufficient follow-up when um, a young person was put on medication. 
They raise several issues like that. And that is exactly okay. why uh, Minister Butler and I have now uh, brought in a new national clinical lead, Dr. Amanda Burke, and she's going to be all over okay. exactly these issues last, raised by the Commission. Last question before we, we move on from this. If I talk to you in one year's time, if I talk to you in August 2024, can you assure me that you'll be saying to me at that point that CAMS is now better than it was, not worse? It, yes, yes. I, I would be very... Uh, uh, Yes, I believe so. Certainly with the new clinical lead in place, we have a new national director uh, coming in in the next few weeks. We have an increase in funding. Um, I'm already talking to the HSE about the additional staffing, the additional funding we'll try to secure for them via the estimates process. We've 75 CAMS teams in place. Critically, Kira, the waiting lists are beginning to fall. Okay. And my message to the HSE yesterday, and I met the various senior managers in the HSE on this, I said, it's great that the, that the lists are beginning to fall, but what we have to do now is keep that up okay. consistently. Very interested in what you had to say about smartphones this week, because smartphones, I think, are something that parents are struggling to deal with and something that parents are significantly worried about their own children over and also do, I believe, personally, contribute to poorer mental health in children in terms of anxiety, etc. What needs to happen with smartphones in this country? Well, really, this is linked to the conversation we've just had, because what we're seeing in Ireland, we're seeing around the world, is a very significant increase in the number of young people being referred to mental health services. Now, the CAMS services that you and I just spoke about, they're for people with uh, uh, more severe and complex issues, and they're for one in 50 young people who were referred for mental health supports. But there's another 49 in every 50 um, who need less complex uh, supports, right? These can be early intervention, counselling, um, community-based supports. We've got a lot of fantastic uh, community-based organisations. So that one of the questions we're asking, uh, that I'm asking as Minister, is yes, we have to provide more services. We have to provide safe services. We have to provide services that, that young people can access. But that's not enough. If we're seeing this big surge in youth mental health challenges. We have to understand what is causing it. And we now have very strong evidence from all over the world, and um, from the US Surgeon General, from the EU Parliament, from academics in Ireland and, and, and globally, that one of the causes is certain types of uh, smartphone use, certain types of social media use, certain access to certain types of internet content. We now know that these are directly linked to very significant rises in uh, anxiety disorders, yeah. sleep deprivation, self-harm, suicide anecdotally, sexual violence, even without eating these disorders. Yeah, even without those reports, I think anecdotally parents feel that their kids are on them too late at night. It's making them anxious. There's bullying going on. There's there's exclusion in WhatsApp groups. There's all of that. But what are we going to do? I mean, I, I know you've said about voluntary and, and, and our, both of our own hometown of Greystones has signed up to the primary schools to, to, you know, parents not getting smartphones for their children, which is a good thing. But it, is that enough, a voluntary code that lots of parents will probably break and we'll end up having a race to the bottom? There's a lot of things we can do. And I was really encouraged by the, the initiative in Greystones. I, I was part, part tangentially involved in it. Um, and it has been, I'm one of the parents, I'm involved in it as a parent, um, and it has been really embraced by the parents. Uh, so this is parents uh, with children in uh, primary school um, saying, right, none of our children are going to get a, a smartphone while they're in primary school. And I know from my own house, and I know from talking to, 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 to parents uh, in the school, it has changed the conversation with the children. 
because the children say, but Johnny has one, Mary yeah. has one, but you're right. I'm the only child and you're a terrible parent. Well, Stephen, my the- child left one of those schools last year and he was the last boy in his class in sixth class. He got, in June of sixth class, he got a smartphone. It was his birthday. He was heading into secondary in September. He was the last child in his class to get one. And he was years after some of them. So, so, it, so it is very difficult. And that's exactly why this pact between parents that has been supported by the schools is so important. Because now all the parents can say, including me as a parent, can say to their children, um, little Johnny doesn't have a phone and little Mary doesn't have a phone and none of them are getting phones. If it's voluntary, what happens when little Johnny and little Mary's parents say, no, I want little Johnny and little Mary to have an iPhone 12. I'd love that for him. He's getting one for Christmas for his confirmation or his communion or for his whatever. Like, what if, if all parents don't sign up and then that school, you know, the parents that, that want their children protected have no options because it's voluntary. Yeah, and that inevitably that kind of thing will arise. But my sense on these things is a voluntary approach um, certainly a, as a first step is always okay. the best way to go. We've seen schools in Wexford, I think they deserve huge credit, have come together and said we're not having phones. And interestingly, there's a piece in the journal from a few days ago by Dr. Catherine Conlon. And she says that almost one in four countries around the world are, have, are now introducing bans on smartphones. Yeah. And I, I, so, I, can, so, I, I can see why. I mean, I think as parents uh, we are worried. Before I let you go, Minister... I suppose some good news, an extension of the free contraception, but also uh, an extension of the means-tested doctor visit card, GP visit card, that will affect quite a number of people. Tell us about those initiatives. That's right. So as of today, Kira, um, free contraception is being extended to women up to and including the age of 30. So as your listeners will be aware, uh, I brought it in first age 17 to 25 we extend it from 25 to 26 at the start of this year, so no woman aged out of the programme um, or the scheme. And as of today, it's moved up to 30. At the same time, just a few weeks ago, six and seven-year-olds, uh, every six and seven-year-old in the country is now eligible for a free GP card. And I really want to acknowledge the GPs around the country. We've had a 95% uptake by GPs of this scheme. And I just want to say fair play to the GPs because a lot of these kids, the parents are struggling to find the money, to bring the kid to the doctor. It's fantastic. The next thing we're doing then um, next week or a week and a half's time from the 11th of of September and then a month later, we're phasing in another uh, 430,000 GP cards. And this is for every household up to the median income. And very simply, there'll be a landing page on the HSE site. People will be able to go in, put in their financial information, put in the income disregards that that they yeah, have, and, and, and no, it'll be able to say that I've you no get a GP card. It, it will be a help. I suppose. Lastly, we're coming very close to GPs being false self-employed, aren't we? Uh, no, I. So what we're so I think what we're going to have huge amount over the of next, what they do now is state work. Increasingly small amounts of it is private work. Well, we're reaching a really important milestone, which is when this new half million GP cards are rolled out, uh, which they're being rolled out now over about an eight-week period. For the first time in the history of the state, over half the country will have fully state-funded access to GPs. It's a really important milestone in our journey to universal health care. So, you know, on that basis, a little over half the population have access to um, to state-funded yeah. GP care. So, yes, the, the private work is is going down and down. But at the same time, Kira, and you, you, you'll know this better than I ever will as a, as a GP yourself, the role of the GP in the community 
is growing and growing yeah. and growing. They're now running chronic disease management, free contraception, menopause clinics. Uh, they've access to diagnostics now for their patients. So the role of the GP okay. in our healthcare service is growing. And finally, Akira, just we were talking about eligibility and the cost of healthcare. Remember, at the end of this month as well, um, we'll be introducing uh, free IVF for the first time. Good stuff. Listen, thank you for speaking to us this morning. That is Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. Um, as you were talking about earlier there, you know, emotional memories, emotional significance, you know, it's a trauma to put someone out of their home. And so we have to understand it's not just a straightforward um, issue. You know, you just, yeah. yeah, transaction. It's not a transactional thing. This is Homes are, you know, imbued with deep meaning for people and, and memories. And, and even in the issue of spare bedrooms, it's really important that there are many reasons why bedrooms are empty. For example, you know, children might be abroad, partners might be abroad. Um, and, and in particular, there was, you know, major controversy in the UK around the whole spare bedroom tax. And there's been huge opposition to that. And just very recently, the UK government was brought to court over breaching the human rights of disabled people who needed the additional bedrooms for equipment and for, so there's, you know, complicated reasons and, you know, many personal reasons why multiple bedrooms are required across people who intend having children um, or hope to and and those sort of issues. But aside from that, I think the key point that you raised there is central. People who are in, who would downsize, and I hear this a lot, you know, elderly people um, who are saying, or not so elderly, but are saying, you know, we're in a big house, we would be very happy to sell this to move to downsize to somewhere smaller, maybe even you know out of the the countryside or out of the the suburbs and into you know more town centres, but there's nothing there, yeah, and yeah, yeah, this okay. is the issue I think at yeah. its core. Okay, um, Rory, thanks indeed for talking to us. You're you're 100 right on that, Rory Hearn, uh, lecturer in social policy at Manute University. Thank you for talking to News Talk Breakfast. Still to come this morning on the program: Should we eat more fish? I think probably we should. Uh, the great Johnny Logan is going to be joining us. But up next, Vera Pau hits out at the FAI and Bows and Rover do battle in a huge League of Ireland derby tonight. JD has all the sport. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR on News Talk.